Chapter 17 of Mother Carey's Chickens. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joyce Martin. Mother Carey's Chickens by Kate Douglas Wiggins. Chapter 17 Jack of All Trades. Mr. Ossian, otherwise Osh, Popham, was covering the hall of the Yellow House with the Hayfield paper. Bill Harmon's father had left considerable stock of one sort and another in the great unfinished attic over the store, and though much of it was worthless and all of it was out of date, it seemed probable that it would eventually sold to the Careys, who had the most unlimited ingenuity in making bricks without straw when it came to house decoration. They had always moved from post to pillar and dan to Beersheba, and had always, inside of a week, had the prettiest and most delightful habitation in the naval colony where they found themselves. Beulah itself, as well as all the surrounding country, had looked upon the golden hayfield paper and scorned it as ugly and countrified, never suspecting that in its day it had been made in France and cost a dollar and a half a roll. It had been imported for a governor's house and only half of it used. So, for thirty years, the other half had waited for the carries. There always are carries and their like, and plenty of them in every generation. So old things, if they are good, need never be discouraged. Mr. Popham never worked at his bricklaying or carpentering or cabinet-making or papering by the hour, but by the job and a kind providence intent on the welfare of the community must have guided him in his choice of business methods for he talked so much more than he worked that unless householders were well-to-do the rights of employer and employee could never have been adjusted if they were rich no one of them would have stopped ocean's conversation for a second in the first place it was even better than his work which was always good and in the second place he would never consent to go to anyone unless he could talk as much as he liked. The Careys loved him, all but Julia, who pronounced him common, and said Miss Tweaksbury told her never to listen to anyone who said, I done it, or I seen it. To this Nancy replied, her mother being in the garden, and she herself not yet started on a line of conduct arranged to please the angels that Miss Tweaksbury and Julia ought to have a little corner of heaven finished off for themselves, and that Julia made a rude, distinct, hideous face at Nancy. I have always dated the beginning of Julia's final transformation from this critical moment, when the old Adam and her began to work. It was good for Nancy, too, who would have trodden on Julia so long as she was an irritating but patient, well-behaved worm but who would have to use a little care if the worm showed signs of turning? "'Your tongue is like a bread-knife, Nancy Carey,' Julia exclaimed passionately, after twisting her nose and mouth into terrifying and dreadful shapes. "'If it wasn't that Miss Tweaksbury told me ladies never were tell-tales, I could soon make trouble between you and your blessed mother.' "'No, you couldn't,' said Nancy curtly, "'for I'd reform sooner than let you do that.' Perhaps I did say too much, Julia, only I can't bear to have you make game of Mr. Popham when he's so funny and nice. Think of his living with nagging Mrs. Popham. 
and his stupid daughter and son in that tiny house and being happy as a king. If there wasn't something wrong with him, he wouldn't be happy there, insisted Julia. Mr. Popham himself accounted for his contentment without insulting his intelligence. The way I look at it, he said, this world's all the world we'll get till we get to the next one, and we might's well smile on it, so frown. You get your piece of life, and you make what you can of it. That's the idea. Now, the other day I got some nice soft wood that was prime for whittling, just the right color and grain and all, and I started to make a little statue of the Duke of Wellington. Well, when I got to shaping him out, I found my piece of wood wouldn't be long enough to give him his height. So I says, well, I don't care. I'll cut the Duke right down and make Napoleon Bonaparte. I'd have been all right if I calculated better, but I cut my block off too short, and I couldn't make Napoleon know how. So I says, well, Isaac Watts was an awful short man, so I guess I will make him. But this time my wood split right in two. Some men would have been discouraged, but I wasn't. Not a mite, I just said. I never did fancy Ike Watts. And there's one thing this blame chip will make, and that's a button for the barn door. Osh not only whittled and papered and painted, but did anything whatsoever that needed to be done on the premises. If the pump refused to draw water, or the sink drain was stopped, or the gutters needed cleaning, or the grass had to be mowed, he was the man ordained by providence and his own versatility to do the work. While he was papering the front hall, the entire Carey family lived on the stairs between meals, fearful lest they should lose any incident, any anecdote, any story, any reminiscence that might fall from his lips. Mrs. Carey took her mending basket and sat in the doorway within earshot, while Peter had all the scraps of paper and a small pasting board on the steps, where he conducted his private enterprises. Osh would cut his length of paper, lay it flat on the board, and apply the wide brush up and down neatly while he began his story. Sometimes, if the tale were long and interesting, the paste would dry, but in that case he went over the surface again. At the precise moment of hanging, the flow of his eloquence stopped abruptly, and his hearers had to wait until the piece was finished before they learned what finally became of old Liddy Brown after she drove her husband outdoors, or of Bill Harmon's bull terrier, who set an entire community quarreling among themselves. His racy accounts of Mrs. Popham's pessimism, which had grown prodigiously from living in the house with his optimism, his anecdotes of Lally Joy Popham, who was given to moods, having inherited portions of her father's incurable hopefulness and fragments of her mother's ineradicable gloom. These were of a character that made the finishing of the hall a matter of profound unimportance. "'I ain't one to hurry,' he would say genially. "'That's the reason I won't work by the hour or by the day. We've got one hurrier in the family, and that's enough for Lally Joy and me.' Miss Popham does everything right on the dot. Lally Joy and me get terrible sick of seeing that dot and having to tension drawn to it as if we don't see it. Miss Bill Harmon's another hurrier. Well, you just ask Bill, that's all. She and Miss Popham have been at it for fifteen years, but the village ain't ready to give out the blue ribbon yet. 
last week my wife went over to harmon's and miss harmon said she was going to make some molasses candy that morning well my wife hurried home put on her molasses made her candy cooled it and worked it and took some over to treat miss harmon who was just getting her kittle out from under the sink the carries laughed heartily at this evidence of mrs popham's clarity while osh as pleased as possible gave one dab with his paste-brush, and went on. Maria's blood was up one while, cause Miss Bill Harmon always contrives to get her wash out the earliest of a Monday morning. Yesterday Maria got up about daybreak. I always tell her if she was real forehanded, she'd eat her breakfast overnight. And by half-past five she had her clothes in the boiler. Just as she was licking out the kitchen window for signs of Miss Bill Harmon, she seen her start for her side door with a big basket. Maria was so mad that she vowed she wouldn't be beat, so she dug for the bedroom and slat some clean sheets and pillar cases out of a bureau drawer, ran into the yard, and I'm blamed if she didn't get em over the line afore Miss Harmon found her clothespins. Good old Osh! He hadn't had such an audience for years, for Beulah knew all his own stories thoroughly, and although it valued them highly, it did not care to hear them too often. But the Careys were absolutely fresh material, and such good appreciative listeners. Mrs. Carey looked so handsome when she wiped the tears of enjoyment from her eyes that Osh told Bill Harmon, if it twarn't again the law, you would want to kiss her every time she laughed. Well, the hall papering was, luckily, to be paid for not by the hour, but by an incredibly small price per roll, and everybody was pleased. Nancy, Kathleen, and Julia sat on the stairs preparing a white weed and buttercup border for the spare bedroom, according to a plan of Mother Carey's. It was an affair of time, as it involved the delicate cutting out of daisy garlands from a wider bordering filled with flowers of other colors, and proved a fascinating occupation. Gilbert hovered on the outskirts of the hall, doing odd jobs of one sort and another, and learning bits of every trade at which Mr. Popham was expert. "'If we hadn't been in such a sweat to get settled,' remarked Osh with a clip of his big shears, "'I really oughtn't to have plastered this front entry all over. To want calling for paper half as loud as it was for plaster.' Old Parson Bradley, he'd been a farmer, for he turned minister, and one Sunday morning his parish was thorning him to pray for rain. So he says, Thou knowest, O Lord, it's manure this land wants, not water, but in thy mercy send rain plenteous upon us. Mr. Popham, said Gilbert, who had been patiently awaiting his opportunity, the pieces of paper are cut for those narrow places each side of the front door, can I paste those on while you talk to us? Of course you can, handy as you be with tools. There ain't no trick to it. Most anybody can be a paperer. As Parson Bradley said when he was talking to a Sunday school during a presidential campaign, one of you boys perhaps can be a George Washington and another may rise to be a Thomas Jefferson. Any of you, the Lord knows, can be a James K. Polk. I don't know much about Polk, said Gilbert. Perhaps nobody did very much, but the parson hated him like pison. See here, Peter, I ain't made a paste. You've used up about a quart already. What are you doing out there, anyway? I hear to paint in the town. I guess you're papering it, ain't you? 
Peter was too busy and too eager for Pace to reply. The facts of the case being that while Mr. Popham held the family spellbound by his conversation, he himself was papering the outside of the house with scraps of assorted paper as high up as his short arms could reach. "'There's another thing you can do, Gilbert,' continued Mr. Popham. "'I've mixed a pail of that green paint same as your mother wanted, "'and I've brought you a tip-top brush. "'The settin' room has a good nice floor, matched boards, "'no hummocks or hollers, all as flat as one of my wife's pancakes, "'and not a knot-hole in it anywheres. "'You just put your first coat on brushing lengthways of the boards "'and let it dry good. "'Don't let your folks go steppin' on it, neither.' The minute a floor's painted, women folks are crazy to get into the room. They want their black alpaca that's in the closet, and the looking glass that's on the mantelpiece, or the feather duster that's hanging on the winder, and will you just pass out the broom that's behind the door? The next morning you'll find lots of little spots where they've tiptoed in to see if the paint's dry and how it's going to look. Where I work, they most always say it's the cat. Well... That answer may deceive some folks, but wouldn't me. Don't slop your paint, Gilbert. We're quick and neat and even. Then paint ain't no trick at all. Any fool the Lord knows can pick up that trade. Now, I guess it's about noontime, and I'll have to be digging for home. Maria sits down and looks at the clock from half past eleven on. She'll get a meal of cold pork and greens, cold string beans, gingerbread, and custard pie on the table, then she'll stand in the front door and holler, Hurry up, Ocean! It struck twelve more than two minutes ago, and everything's getting overdone. So saying, he took off his overalls, seized his hat, and with a parting salute was off down the road singing his favorite song. I can give you the words and the time, but alas, I cannot print Osh Popham's dauntless spirit and serene content, nor his cheery voice as he traveled with tolerable swiftness to meet his waiting Maria. Here comes a maiden full of woe, hi-de-dum-de-die-o. Here comes a maiden full of woe, hi-dee-re-o. Here comes a maiden full of woe, as full of woe as she can go. Hi-dum-de-dee-i-o, hi-dee-re-o. End of chapter 17. Reading by Joyce Martin.